0: You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live, and it's me, Eusebius McKeizer, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics, and ethics, how they intersect, and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. So, the Democratic Alliance is, of course, running its Congress this weekend. And one of the major events this Saturday has been two quick little speeches from the candidates running to be the federal leader of the party. The incumbent is John Stiernesen, and he is being challenged by Mpoa and they gave two very different speeches. I wanna comment on the two to let the cat out of the bag. I think John did better, but I do think it's interesting from a speechcraft point of view, to tell you what I think about these two speeches quite apart from the politics playing out. In my former life and sometimes occasionally outside of the media space in the way that you know me, I've been a trained debater competitively. I've been to many national and world championships as a competitive debater representing Rhodes University, also the Oxford Debate Union. And um, I've also trained debating and public speaking, so I kind of watch these two speeches both as a political analyst, but also inevitably wearing my hat as a debater, public speaker myself, and also having been an adjudicator for many years as one of the roles that you play within the debate fraternity. So all of those different skill sets came together as I was watching and listening to the two different candidates presenting their speeches. Let's start off by playing John's speech back at you. The visuals would also be interesting if you had an opportunity to see it on YouTube. But even without that, I've got some remarks that I think you'll find, hopefully of some interest, just based on even the audio alone. So let's start off first and foremost then with John. He had a maximum of five minutes, again, similar to debating, where you normally have seven minutes in university debate contest. Yes, John in his final five minutes speaking specifically to the delegates. And remember, you're speaking to the delegates. They're the ones who are going to be voting bright and early tomorrow. And of course, simultaneously, there's an audience nationally that's tuning in. And part of what I would be looking out for, if this was an adjudication back in the day when I was at university, is whether or not the assignment is understood by the different speakers in the competition, i.e. do you know your audience, do you know what you're aiming for in this particular contest, which may be different if I had to give you a different assignment. Yes, John.
1: it is an honor to stand with all of you today in Gauteng the next province to be governed by the DA and today I ask you to re-elect me as the leader of our beloved party since October 29 we've all been on a journey together we've been working hard together to rebuild the DA we've defied our critics, and we've come out of election 2021 stronger than ever before. And we are now on track for a record result in 2024, where we must bring the ANC below 50% and rescue South Africa. This is our mission. The DA must and will play a leading role in constructing a post-ANC South Africa. And we must translate our vision of an open opportunity society for all into a realistic plan that all South Africans can resonate with. When I first joined the Democratic Party in 1997, we were under no illusions about the difficulties that lay ahead. We were a 1.7% party, but we knew that to cement our role in the South African political landscape, we would have to put in hard work. And let me tell you, as a councillor, for 10 years, I know a lot about hard work. We also knew that only the politics of the long haul would result in the political change, and we knew there were no shortcuts. So today, I can confidently report that our three decades of hard work has paid off. And it's through these generations of hard work that we've arrived at a point where we are now just 12% behind the ANC in some of the polling. And just think about the many successes that we have achieved together. We positioned the DA as the only effective opposition against the ANC. Then we reoriented our party to become a party of local and provincial government. And, following a setback in 2019, we learned from our mistakes and we got the DA back to winning ways. Democrats, I am proud to say that the DA is at and ons is career to win. And no, now is the date. for the DA to be a part of the national government. Pledges to our delegates and they are getting the ANC under 50% nationally, focusing our communication on issues that matter to voters, ending load shedding, reducing unemployment below 20%, defeating catered employment and building a capable state, halving violent crime and devolving more power to provincial and local government. But, Democrats. To bring any of our solutions to bear in time to save South Africa, it's time now for the DA to ascend to national government and provincial government around the country. And that's why all other pledges in my manifesto are anchored in this one priority. We must drag the ANC below 50% and we, the DA, must form the core of a new majority in South Africa. We must show people that we're focusing our attention on their issues, the issues that matter to them. And key to achieving that is installing a blue government that operates on DA values. Democrats, this is where discipline becomes non-negotiable. And in in addition to instilling stronger discipline, we must end the damaging practices of slagging off our own party in public. strategic direction and using world-class research, we must identify the issues that matter most to voters and talk about them. By making these the issues of our communication, we have already grown our party substantially since 2019. And with your support and your hard work, we will run the strongest, most proactive and issue-based communication campaign that our party has ever seen. Some may say that my vision of the DA's path is ambitious. I say it is realistic. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that we can do all these things. we fixed the DA. Now it's time for us to lead and fix South Africa. Thank you,
0: Dennis. I think that's an excellent speech. I mean, I can't fault him. I in fact, have to praise him. And as I said to a former DA politician that I was um, exchanging viewpoints on privately about the speeches, you've got to be dispassionate as an analyst and ask yourself, how has a particular speech landed in the context of what the goals are for that particular speech? So if I was judging it, I firstly would recognize that it's probably... Yes, it's about persuading the delegates, but we're now in the business here of speech craft. This is more the sort of, how would I put it, less about competitive debating, in fact, and this is more about Toastmasters and about public speaking. And there's a technical difference. You know, when it comes to public speaking, whether you're giving an after dinner speech, whether you are hosting an evening of awards, an award ceremony, you are there to hold the energy in the room, to make people laugh, or to move them, or to gain their attention, to tell stories. And you know that that's really what it's about. Effect or emotion is central to the success of that kind of performance. Whereas, if we are to talk about debating. For example, debating a bill in a committee, it really is a combination of the affect, which is always present, but in that case, evidence, data, logic would be central to the assignment. In this case, you want a mixture of the two, but you do want to emphasize and perform more successfully on the stylistic elements of of, of the speech that you have just delivered. And that's what John did brilliantly. Um, He focused on... Emotion. He focused on positive content and he was very clear from the first sentence, I'm here in Johannesburg and this is the next province we will take over. Immediately, you've got your audience on side because you are tapping into an aspiration to not only be known as a DA that does well in the Western Cape, but is unable after many years of ANC poor governance elsewhere, to also convince residents of other provinces to vote for it. And he strikes a optimistic positive note from the beginning. And then it's a recurring theme, and I mention that because I'm gonna contrast it with Mpoh, who I think made a tactical error. John says, we've had many successes together, you and I. We started off in 97 when I first joined the party with less than 2% of the vote. Look at where we are at now. Sure, we made mistakes in 2019. We've learned from them. And now we are going to get the ANC below 50%. Then he does a couple of things tactically that shows he understands that it is a game of choosing between two options. So you can't just give this kind of speech unaware of the fact that you have competition. So you don't want to be seen to be running a negative campaign against your opponent. You want to be seen to be a mature competitor. And yet at the same time, you've got to say stuff that reminds the voters what the distinguishing features are of your candidacy compared to the person that you are running against. And he slips it in, uh, not quite subtly, but in a way that can't be described as unambiguously, negatively. When he says, I was there in 1997, Mpo wasn't there. I mean, she might have been at the end of her high school career still. Um, 97 is a long time ago. So he's reminding the, the the delegates that he understands this party. He was there in its many iterations before it became what it became, you know, after 2000. Secondly, he says, I was a counselor for 10 years. Again, the subtweet is, I'm running against a candidate that doesn't know what it's like to really take up leadership and other kinds of governance positions in different spheres of government and over a long period of time. Now, one can have an academic debate about how important length of time in a party is, having served, and when you joined. All of those things you can debate. But at an emotional level, it resonates when someone says, I know us, which is the subtext of the messaging behind that sentence, I've been a counsellor for 10 years, and that's quite apart from his time as an MP, and I thought that was quite clever. And then lastly, I thought that was really, really good, is that he ends again on a forward-looking approach, where he says, here are quickly my seven themes, I'm going to reiterate them, and based on our data, which we trust, these are the things that are foremost on the minds of the average South African And without directly engaging commentators like myself, he indirectly subtweets critics by suggesting, yes, you're right, communication is important, we are going to focus on comms in a way that we should be paying attention to making sure the comms work, but we're going to do it on our terms. We're going to focus on the things that the polls tell us are foremost on the minds of voters. Now, I mean, for me, it's very clear what he's saying there. He's not going to be talking about the things that many of the critics want him to talk about, like black Twitter, um, like Abu Yusebius Makaiser amongst the analysts. He doesn't care about identity politics. He doesn't care about debates about historicism. I don't think he cares very much to talk about race, and he doesn't think that race should be one of the issues that matter in 2024. When he says polling tells us, what he probably means is, yes, we're going to go on and on and on about energy insecurity, how to get people into work, how to make sure that the economy is growing, how to get rid of catered deploy, deployment, how to make sure that the state is capable. And those are the only things that matter. And I disagree with him on that. But it's very clear that he's got a plan. It's forward-looking. He says it passionately with passion, and um, he's deeply committed to it. And on all of those bases, you know, I would, I would score him incredibly highly even before an opponent uh, goes to the podium to try and compete against him. So an excellent speech all round. He understands his audience he is showing rhetorically as well that he understands what speechifying is about in the context of electioneering. And that's why he ends with that interesting refrain, which I see a number of news sites already put in the headline because it makes for easy copy. We have fixed the DA. now let's fix South Africa. Now, if you're a diehard EFF fan or ANC or Action SA, you might roll your eyes at that. But it's, it's pretty, pr- pretty good political rhetoric. It's a soundbite that sticks, and you can put it on a poster. It's easy to remember. It's digestible. You can tweet it, and a news editor can't resist putting it in a headline, and then it has a compound traveling effect online as well. So an excellent speech all around in terms of what the assignment was. Now, let's contrast that with Mpour. What did she have to say? And then I'll tell you why I think she did well, but why she gave the wrong kind of speech in the context of the assignment.
2: Fellow Democrats, fellow South Africans, Victor Hugo's phrase that nothing is more powerful than an idea whose time has come was very prophetic. It's as though he had South Africa and the Democratic Alliance in mind when he uttered that statement. The idea of the DA, of a liberal, democratic party governing South Africa has come. Delegates, it is time. Our time has come. But it is now or never. South Africa is on the verge of total collapse. South Africans are now looking for an alternative. The ANC will drop below 40% in the upcoming elections, and the DA must be ready. We've cultivated a brand of good governance, and South Africans agree that where we govern, we govern better. But the truth is that we've been experiencing negative growth. Between the 2016 and 2021 local government elections, our party lost more than 1.4 million votes and a total of 285 of our councillors lost their positions as elected public reps in communities this, Democrats, is not because our brand is inferior, but it is because of a trust deficit that exists between us and the electorate. And this is what stands between us and our chances of becoming a national government. Everywhere I've been to campaign, people ask us, can we trust you? This Congress is an opportune moment for us to be bold and to once and for all address this challenge. I'm ready to lead the Democratic Alliance to embark on a process of introspection and repositioning from an opposition in Parliament to a governing party in 2024. ask me, is it not too soon? And I wish to stay categorically here without any fear of contradiction. It's not the length of time in a party that determines one's effectiveness. It's not the number of years that counts. It's about capability, experience, and qualifications. Jacob Zuma was a horrible president with all his years in the ANC, yet Barack Obama, with much fewer years in his party, was one of the best presidents America ever had. I am a medical doctor by profession, and with a wealth of experience in both the public and private sectors, my work as a doctor in Alexandria exposed me to abject urban poverty, leading to my leap from medicine into politics. See, Democrats, politics is not a vocation, it is a calling. I've served as an MMC and Executive Mayor in the city of Johannesburg, the biggest of all 257 municipalities in South Africa. And my years of experience as a technocrat and as a politician have sufficiently prepared me for the position of DA Federal Leader. Leading a huge multi-party coalition government in the city of Johannesburg was a necessary preparation for the road ahead. Our country has entered a phase of coalition governance. We need leaders with experience in both politics and governance to keep our governments afloat and protect them from avoidable instability. Our party needs a new leadership that can inspire and galvanize sectors of society behind a new vision, a vision of a prosperous and equal opportunity society for all. We need a leadership that can display moral integrity, that can lead by example and unite the party. We are a party that ascribes to liberal values and this means we must support and promote free speech, including the right to freedom of choice. As a leader, I will defend everyone in the party, and I will not lead by fear, because the best form of leadership is leadership by example. I will work closely with our activists and structures such as DAU, DA Women's Network, DA Students' Organization, as well as other ancillary bodies, empowering them to deliver on their mandate. Public reps, including in rural areas, will have my support. And staff members will enjoy recognition and support as an integral part of the blue machine. Democrats, we have a stark choice to make, and we can either try to consolidate our base and accept our projected 16% of voter share in 2024, or we can be bold at this Congress and vote for real growth. It is in your hands. I am a Democrat. I believe in our values and principles. I embody what we stand for as a party. I am committed to our cause, and I'm not going anywhere. Vote for
0: No, that's a <laughs> that's a speech with massive contrast, right? And I'm going to give you some interesting tidbit insights here into the technical world of debating versus public speaking. I mean, if I was an adjudicator in a debate competition, I would be struggling to decide who I would vote for. And while I am conferring with my fellow panel members, I mean, I've been an adjudicator right up until world championship level. And um, I, I really would probably be inclined to... To, in the first place, while listening to fellow judges, I might be inclined, going into the discussion, to think that Mpo took it. But that's if this was a debating competition and substantive matter was the most important determinant of who should be given the trophy, who should be declared the winner. And I'll, and I'll tell you why in a second, I think on substantive matter, she was more interesting and saying stuff that's more important to the party analytically. But here's the problem. It wasn't that kind of context contest, and that's where she's kind of like made a tactical error and misunderstood the assignment. This was more a public speaking competition than it was a debating logic-based um, com- competition. And yes, that's a dichotomy that's slightly false, and I'm exaggerating, but it's only a slight exaggeration. Anyone who understands comms will know what I mean. You either emphasize the one or the other when you go to the podium, depending the context and what it is that you want to achieve. And in this context, context, it is less than a day before people have to vote and make their final decision. You've had months to trot out around the country, in private meetings, in big meetings, um, on and off the record, your case based on the data, the detail, the kind of logical stuff that you had in the substance of a speech. Now it really is about energy and about making sure that if someone had travelled all the way from Uppington to Johannesburg, that they feel that they're part of a project that is positive, can make a difference, can defeat the ANC, and that is what John understood And then I would be inclined to say, well, given that this is not a debating competition, it is about persuasively, from a public speaking point of view, holding the room and really galvanizing the ones who have been doing your work in terms of your campaign, but also the ones who have been wondering whether to be on board with voting for you, to to now understand why your lieutenants that had been reaching out to them were right when they tried to persuade you, them uh, to to commit to voting for you as they were doing the numbers leading up uh, to 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 coming to um, Johannesburg. And what do I mean by her having got the substance right? If this was a different kind of contest, well, I mean she's quite analytically on point when she says there's a trust deficit. She doesn't mince her words about the true facts. She doesn't obsess, as the other party leaders do, about a report polling that suggests that in urban areas in particular, the DA brand is now a brand that is as strong, if not stronger, than the ANCs And on other polls, as John said, that there's at most a 12 percentage point difference between the ANC and the DA. I mean, those numbers to me are so fanciful, I wouldn't cite them until I had a look at what the the models are behind them, the sampling size of the polls, the methodologies are, etc, 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 because they just seem ludicrously optimistic. She keeps it real and she says, we've messed up. People ask me, can we trust you? Can you do the job? Let's keep it real the only way we can do so is to signal that we have a fundamental break from the status quo of what we keep offering them. And she doesn't say it in so many words, but she's implying that unless you also have new leadership, not just in terms of the aesthetics, but a leadership that understands what the issues are that alienate us and that creates that trust deficit, then you're not going to get more than 16%. Now, to anyone in that audience, you go, oh my God, this woman wants me to vote for her? But she takes seriously... Skeptics who say we couldn't, if we had to go to the polls tomorrow, get more than 16%. And that's where the tactical error comes in: is that too much in terms of word count and time spent was spent on introspection, data-driven analyses that you could have done six months ago. But for the purposes of this speech, you switch it over, as John did, and you keep it very positive, even if you are slightly exaggerating and taking liberties. Quite frankly, with reality, you do it because the assignment is make sure people vote for you tomorrow morning from six o'clock onwards. That is the immediate assignment. After that, you can say, Thanks, guys. Thanks for having voted for me. Now, let's rein in the exaggerated positivity from my speech, Isolo. She didn't quite do that. This is the kind of truth that you go back to a week later as you now begin to say, Yo, now the hard work starts, we've got to craft a strategy for the 2024 campaign. But you can't have that conversation in this speech, and I think that's the mistake she made. But I saw some people saying that she was positive, and and I think it's because they understood and appreciated how sober the self-examination was that you don't get routinely from a Helen Ziller, from a Natasha, from John. Um, and also from any of the black leaders, there's not even a racial thing, right? There are many leaders that I have productive relationships with in the DA, and even they privately are sometimes either mum or really disingenuous in pushing a positive line about where the party is at. And there's something refreshing about her honesty. She also tries to rebut by saying, how long you've been here is irrelevant. Then she comes up with typically good school debating counter examples. Jacob Zuma was well-versed in ANC politics, but he wasn't a great president. Again, that kind of tidbit rebuttal is not going to work in the context of trying to energize the delegates who think that the default winner must be John. He's been given credit for stabilizing the party after 2019. That messaging internally has convinced many that that has happened, even if some Some analysts suggest that, in fact, the idea that the party has been stabilised is an exaggerated truth. If you look at how many people have exited, how many leaders have have exited, um, how poorly they did, um, depending on what you count as the success criteria in the local government elections, etc., etc. But between Helen and John, they have managed to convince a lot of the party faithful that, in fact, John led a sort of post-MUSI stabilization of the party. Now, in that context, it's particularly difficult for Mpo uh, to come along and to suggest that, in fact, there's a hell of a lot that really we don't get right. We don't have staffers who feel appreciated. We don't have uh, the women's affiliate group feeling as if they have autonomy we don't have people in far from corners feeling as if their voices matter. What she was doing in that part of her speech was to subtweet the over-concentration of power in Helen and in and in in um, John. Is she right? I think she's right. Is that what you want to say in this kind of speech less than 20 hours before your delegates are going to put crosses next to either your name or, or his? No. And that's where she misread the moment. So when all is said and done, I think... On balance, John uh, completed the assignment more successfully. I think she kept it more real on the substance about where the party is at. But in a sense, as I said to, to someone earlier, it was almost as if she was a political analyst who is giving an impassioned plea to the DA about its faults and what it needs to do to do better, as opposed to being someone who's actually in the race, understanding the game of politics. I think John understands it better, And whatever you might think about John, depending on who you are listening to this analysis from me, maybe you're one of those people who don't vote for the DA. Maybe you find John triggering for whatever reason. Um, But the truth of the matter is that if you are completely dispassionate and you understand what the purpose of this kind of speech is, I think it would be enormously unfair to, to deny that John, more than Paul, really understood what today was about. And on that basis, I would say John has it.